For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. The chief operations officer of Beyond Meat was arrested last month after he bit the nose of a man he was fighting with in a parking garage. If you can't keep all the alternative meat companies straight, Beyond Meat is the one that sells vegan burger patties. It's been endorsed by luminaries like reality TV star Kim Kardashian and NBA player Chris Paul. Anyway. The company's chief operations officer, Doug Ramsey, got into a fight in a parking garage following an Arkansas Razorbacks college football game. The driver of a Subaru bumped into Ramsey's car, and the Beyond Meat executive got out of his car and punched through the back window of the Sub. Now, I hate to generalize here, but out of all the vehicle owners out there, a Subaru driver may be the most likely to buy Beyond Meat. Ramsey beat up the driver and in the process, quote, bit the owner's nose, ripping the flesh off the tip of the nose. He's been charged with third-degree battery and with making terroristic threats, since he also allegedly said he would kill the other driver. Now, it's no secret as to why we are covering this terrible, no-good, very-bad-day for Beyond Meat COO here on the Week in Review. It's because it's fake meat-related. And fake meat, in my opinion, is just a convenient way to ignore rolling up our sleeves and doing the hard work to do better in the agricultural world and do better in our food purchasing and do better by not housing up a bunch of productive farmland. And if that's not good enough for you, I'll leave you with this. Hangry is defined by Oxford languages as bad-tempered or irritable as a result of hunger. The owner of the company that makes fake meat was so hangry 
that he was cited for making terroristic threats, smashing windows and biting human noses made of meat and cartilage. This week, we've got the spear fishing report, be careful out there, and where the chestnut grows. Plus so much more, but first I'm going to tell you about my week. In my week, as well as this podcast, is of course powered by Steel Power Equipment, makers of the world's finest chainsaws. A lot of listeners have written in and asked about what particular saw I'm referencing when I say clean, quiet, dependable, battery-powered saw. Something that uh, you can tuck underneath the truck seat or put on top of a mule. Something that's going to cut a road free from a downed tree just as easily as clearing a trail for the pack string. Or, you know, maybe splitting a big fat cow elk right down the spine. And that saw, my friends, is the MSA 120. It's economical. More than enough for the variety of situations you can encounter on the trail. And so light, you can throw it over the top of a tall mule. You'll just have to trust me on that one. This week, I was down in Southern California spearfishing with some friends that I met around and through Rife International, which is a really cool spearfishing company. Ryan Moore, Mike Rabe, Joel Olnick. We set out of Dana Point and hopped kelp patties, which are floating masses in varying sizes of kelp that have broken off from their beds. Anything floating in the ocean can be very attractive to small and large fish, so we checked the small kelp islands on our way out to San Clemente Island, or SCI. One of these patties had a large school of 15 to 20 pound mahi-mahi, or dorado, whatever you want to call them. These are some of the fastest growing fish in the ocean. They reach maturity between four and five months of age and start spawning when they reach a length of about 20 centimeters. Females spawn two to three times each year, producing 80,000 to a million eggs each time. Mahi-mahi live up to five years, but rarely exceed four years. All of that to say, they are a very sustainable species to target, as well as a typically compliant species to target. They love to eat, and they happen to be very curious around divers. Ryan Moore shot a nice one while I tangled myself in the kelp paddy because I was distracted by a huge mola mola, or ocean sunfish. The ocean sunfish looks like somebody tried to draw a fish. They did a great job on the head and fins, but forgot to add a body. The mola mola resembles a floating fish head with fins attached to it. The mola mola is the heaviest bone fish in the world. There's the oceanic sunfish, and then there's the southern sunfish, and they weigh between 500 and 4,500 pounds. And here's a great fact for you. Everybody thinks that sea jellies and salps are their primary prey, but they're actually generalist predators that consume largely small fish, fish larvae, squid, and crustaceans. The sea jellies and salps make up only 15% of the diet. Females of the species can produce more eggs than any other known vertebrate, up to 300 million at a time, and I watched five of these critters around one kelp paddy in the Pacific. He's a peeping Tom. And while so doing, I lodged the float attached to my spear gun deep into the kelp, preventing me from killing a mahi-mahi. Now, 300 million is a lot. For instance, 300 million seconds is equal to 9 years, 28 weeks, 5 hours, and 20 minutes. One centimeter is roughly the size of a pea, and not that far off from the size of a fish egg, or some fish eggs, and 300 million centimeters is 1,864.11 miles. Just some fun reference for you. 
300 million is a whole lot. Now on this particular trip, we really wanted to target bluefin tuna, which is a totally different story. And we just didn't have the fuel to pursue them. So we did a bunch of diving off the coast of SCI, Catalina. We picked up some yellowtail, which is hamachi at the sushi shop, but not actually like the yellowtail amberjack. California yellowtail is S. dorsalis, which is very similar, but not exactly the same. It was a super fun trip. It's hard to describe how cool it is, but if this gives you some context, I had one open week in September, which I would typically go find an elk to put in the freezer. But instead of doing that, I went to Southern California and tried to spear a fish. Moving on to the wilderness safety desk. Being outside is the best part of hunting and fishing, and there's nothing better than getting way out in a remote area, but that can also lead to some complications. As big game hunting seasons get underway around the country, you'd do well to keep these stories in mind. A man from West Michigan is currently recovering at home after he was attacked by a grizzly bear on a moose hunt in Alaska. 33-year-old Nicholas Cooperus was hunting with some friends about 300 miles northeast of Anchorage when they stumbled upon a sow with cubs. Cooperus told newspaper M Live that, quote, we basically scared each other. A scared mother grizzly is the worst kind of grizzly, and she immediately charged Cooperus and his crew. He put out his arms to protect his head and managed to hit the bear with his bear spray while she bit his arms, leaving multiple puncture wounds. The bear ran away after another member of the group fired a handgun reportedly not at the bear. The hunters used a sat phone to call for help, and Cooperus is doing well. Another hunter from the lower 48 encountered danger in Alaska, but rescue crews and his family still don't know what happened to him. Tennessee native Steve Keel was hunting caribou with a friend in northern Alaska at the end of August when he disappeared from their campsite. Keel's friend told authorities that the former Marine and lifelong hunter left their camp around 10 a.m. on August 27th to grab his backpack about a half a mile away. When he didn't return, Keel's friend assumed he had just gotten turned around and didn't report him missing for 24 hours. Search teams, including a group of Keel's friends and his sons, have been searching the area for weeks without success. The search is being taken over completely by Alaskan officials, along with help from local volunteers. As of this recording, there has still been no sign of keel. Elsewhere in Alaska, four additional hunters, one lone hunter and a group of three, are missing along the lower Kuskokwim River in southwest Alaska. The single hunter, a man named Daniel Larau, went missing on the evening of September 1, the day moose hunting opened. He was with a hunting buddy who said he's not sure whether his friend went missing on land or in the river. Another group of three moose hunters are thought to have drowned when their boat sank. Searchers found life vests, gas containers, and a coat from the boat. They've been dragging the river and using sonar to search for them. As of this recording, none of the men have been found. Another search and rescue effort here in Montana had more success. Four hikers set out near the Montana-Idaho border for what they thought would be a short walk, but two of them made a wrong turn and ended up spending two nights in the wilderness before they were rescued by a famous private search and rescue outfit called Two Bear Air. The hikers, whose names have not been made public, had only packed a lighter because they assumed they would only be out for a short time. But that lighter came in handy. Two Bear Air reports that the pair ate huckleberries and roasted frog legs over a fire to stay fed and warm while they waited to be found, which is, you know, probably a $60 per plate meal in the swanky town of Whitefish these days. In Vermont, 
One hunter is in the hospital and another has been charged with multiple felonies after one man says he mistook the other for a bear. 25-year-old Alex Gaudet has been charged with aggravated assault and negligent use of a gun after he shot 35-year-old James Cameron in the stomach. As far as I'm aware, this shooting was not motivated by a Terminator, Titanic, or Avatar. Get away from her, you... Both hunters were looking for bears on private property when Gaudet says he saw what he thought was a bear walking through the woods. Cameron was in critical condition following the September 12th shooting, but as of September 20th, he's in stable condition at the University of Vermont Medical Center. And here's one that proofs a solid quote from the television series The Wire. When you come at a bull moose, it's best not to miss. She stands alone. A Colorado bow hunter found just that. He's currently recovering in the hospital after he missed a bull moose with an arrow, and the giant ungulate turned around and gored him. The hunter was fortunately carrying a GPS device, which he used to send an SOS to law enforcement. He managed to hike about a mile and a half to a road where he was helped by a sheriff's deputy and then airlifted to a hospital. A lot of people think that getting life insurance means you're insuring yourself for yourself, but it's actually the exact opposite. It's insuring yourself for your family. So if something happens to me and I'm not around anymore, I can have more peace of mind that my family can have some financial support. And that's where Fabric by Gerber Life comes in. More than once in my life, my journey, people have described me as an independent person. And that's how I want to stay even when I'm dead. That's how I want to be remembered. That's why I have life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life is term life insurance you can get done right here, right now. You could be covered from your couch in under 10 minutes with no health exam required. If you've got kids, and especially if you're young and healthy, the time to lock in low rates is now. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meatfabric.com slash cow. That's meatfabric.com slash cow. M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash cow. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on X. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. Onyx Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were onto something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from heart and soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised grass-fed and finished cattle heart and soils unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in 
ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. Moving on to the public land desk. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service announced on September 15 that it would be opening or expanding hunting and fishing opportunities on 18 national wildlife refuges from California to Illinois to Virginia. The final rule opens up 38,000 acres of federal public land to new hunting and fishing, including big game, turkey, and waterfowl. The Turnbull National Wildlife Refuge in Washington, for example, will open turkey hunting for the first time ever, and the Erie National Wildlife Refuge in Pennsylvania will expand sport fishing to new acres. You can find a full list of all the new openings on the Google machine. Just search for 2022-2023 USFWS Final Rule. Now, you might think that opening new acres for public land hunting and fishing would be uncontroversial in the outdoor rec world. Usually it is, but in this case, you'd be wrong. That's because while the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is increasing access, it's also limiting the use of lead ammunition and tackle on some of the new refuges. The National Shooting Sports Foundation, or NSSF, called the new rule a bait-and-switch. The Sportsman's Alliance said that while the group applauds the expansion of hunting and fishing, it has, quote, serious concerns that the Fish and Wildlife Service is moving forward with a lead ban without fully considering the consequences to the hunting and fishing community. The debate surrounding lead use on public land is a can of worms. It would take more than a 20-minute podcast to unpack. If you want to dig deeper into this issue, please check out the article by Jim Heffelfinger on TheMeatEater.com or episode 354 of the Meat Eater podcast. For now, you should know that the federal government banned the use of lead shot for waterfowl hunting on public land in 1991, but it didn't ban the use of lead rifle ammunition or fishing tackle. Some wildlife refuges allow lead, others don't, and that's nothing new either. This new rule will phase out the use of lead ammunition and tackle at the Potoka River National Wildlife Refuge in Indiana, The change will take place over the course of the next four years. The rule states that the service wants to ban lead at eight additional refuges within the same time frame. However, based on the comments received, those changes will have to wait to allow for additional public comment periods to come. In the meantime, hunters and anglers are encouraged at those refuges to switch to non-lead ammunition and tackle. Plenty of education and outreach is being done there. In other words, hunters and anglers, You have another chance to weigh in next year. The Fish and Wildlife Service is clearly concerned about the use of lead, and the language in this rule isn't what some in the outdoor community had hoped for. However, it's clear that the service took our comments seriously, and we should continue to make our voices heard. Moving on to my favorite desk, the Citizen Science Desk. A Delaware hunter discovered what some call the holy grail of tree lovers a full-grown American chestnut tree. Thanks to Benjamin Hoagland for sending this one in. Adult American chestnut trees were considered extinct in much of the United States, and definitely in Delaware, until an eagle-eyed deer hunter noticed an unusual tree while scouting for deer at the Coverdale Farm Preserve. Brett Lannon told local public radio station WHYY, which is a great name, 
that his father taught him about how American chestnut trees were wiped out by blight in the early 20th century. Chinese chestnut trees were imported from overseas, and they carried a disease that made American chestnuts functionally extinct. Some trees still exist in Pennsylvania, Virginia, North Carolina, and Tennessee, but the vast majority of them are small sprouts that do not survive very long. Lannon found the very rare full-size American chestnut because he noticed a tree that didn't look quite like its neighbors. He broke off a small branch and cut into the wood, and what he saw reminded him of the American chestnuts he'd seen as a kid. When he looked more closely at the leaves, he noticed they were jagged and matte rather than smooth and shiny. At that point, he knew he had something special. He took a few pictures and marked the spot on Google Earth and notified the local nature society. They confirmed that the tree is a pure American chestnut. The plan right now is to collect the nuts and grow the seeds. If those seeds also produce pure American chestnut trees, those trees will be planted throughout the preserve. Hopefully, in a few decades, that lone tree will have a few friends growing nearby. I'll also point out here that the odds of a non-hunting someone walking through those woods and finding that tree are slim to none. Citizen science. Easy to be involved in. Typically, it just takes observation. Moving on to the access desk. A controversy in California's Newport Beach has reached a fever pitch after a homeowner sued to keep Orange County from taking down a fence that's blocking off access to a public stretch of land. No one knows exactly who built the fence or when, but it blocks access to a one-third acre parcel along Newport Beach's back bay. There are no hiking trails or docks on the property, but the fence slices off land from the Upper Newport Bay Nature Preserve, which does have hiking, biking, and riding trails. A wealthy homeowner named Buck Jones, which sounds like a name he picked up during a, quote, acting career in the 70s, is suing to keep the fence in place. His name is Brock Landers. His partner's name is Chest Rockwell. (laughs) They're great names! He's arguing that the county is taking actions that devalue his property and that the parcel of land in question has no recreational value. He purchased his house and surrounding property in 1977, but he says the fence was built in 51. Problem is, the parcel in question was part of a land donation in 1989 by the Irvine Company to the county on the condition it be preserved as parkland. Then, in 2003, the county dedicated the preserve as a state public trust. So the land is and was, at the time of purchase, clearly public property, Despite that, Jones tried to buy the property in 2019 for an appraised value of only $13,000, which if you've ever been down to Newport Beach, that just doesn't exist. Opponents of the sale said the land should have been valued closer to $1.1 million. At the time, Jones had the support of then-county supervisor Michelle Steele. Again, think about it, Michelle Steele, Buck Jones, 1977. I am a big, bright, shining star. Buck Jones had made some donations to Steele's then-congressional campaign, which just makes the soup a little bit more tasty. Political donors shouldn't be able to strong-arm the public through donations. The California State Lands Commission has demanded that Orange County take down the fence and return the property to its rightful owners. We'll see where this case goes from here. It's a fun one. Moving on to the Ancient History Desk. Scientists working in Borneo have discovered what they believe is the earliest example of a sophisticated medical amputation. Folks have been getting their legs and arms cut off for a long time. Between wars and wild animals, amputations aren't exactly uncommon in ancient human history, 
but these researchers found what appears to be an amputation of a left foot done in a medical context to save someone's life. They say the procedure took place 31,000 years ago. Even more amazingly, according to an article by Maggie Hudlow at TheMeatEater.com, this person survived the procedure and went on to live another six to nine years after the initial trauma. This skeleton is the oldest deliberate human burial ever found in Southeast Asia, according to Dr. Tim Maloney. When researchers saw that the subject's left foot was missing, they were immediately intrigued. The skeleton was classified as a homo sapien between 19 and 20 years of age and of indeterminate sex. The left fibula and tibia was cut cleanly with bone marks that mirror modern-day surgical amputations. In other words, these cuts were intentional. This wasn't an animal bite or fall. The team couldn't definitively identify a cutting instrument, but they believe a sharp rock was most likely. They also do not think this was done as punishment or sacrifice because the bone showed no signs of infection. This person was well taken care of after the operation and buried with respect in a marked grave. Prior to this find, the oldest known evidence of a surgery was a 7,000-year-old amputation of an elderly French farmer's arm. Researchers believe that sophisticated surgeries were beyond the capabilities of foraging societies, but this discovery debunks that assumption. The ancient doctors had to realize the surgery was necessary and then have enough skill to perform the operation and keep the wound from getting infected. So, you know, this year, when you're deep in the woods, something bad happens. You may just, you know, want to think that uh, you got a lot more options than you think you do. After all, somebody managed to do it 31,000 years ago. We're not that special. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. As per usual, let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods by writing in to A-S-K-C-A-L. That's askcal at meateater.com. And if you're looking for that clean, quiet, dependable battery-operated chainsaw or maybe something sweet like a leaf blower to keep you cool on a hot day, type in www.steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need and they're not going to try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Sailing away on the crest of a wave, it's like magic. All rolling and riding and slipping and sliding, it's magic. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.